You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. Hey, happy Labor Day. <laughs> I really did mean that. Um, happy Labor Day weekend. I want to, before I jump into the message this morning, I want to um, pray for our businesses. This is a weird Labor Day. Um, just with 2020 and the, the lockdown that we've been in all year. And I know for us here in Dumas, we're kind of getting back to normal. But there's a lot of people that are struggling in their businesses. They own businesses and just getting back to um, the place where they can make money. And on Labor Day weekend, I think this is a great time for us to just bring some, uh, some focus to that and to pray um, that God would begin to support those folks, that God would begin to move in our government because I think that needs to happen um, and that the things would begin to open up that need to open up. So would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, God, we just come to you this morning with humility, um, but also, God, we come to you with dependence upon you. Lord, we know that you are our provider and Lord, there are so many uh, businessmen and women, small businesses, even mid- medium-sized businesses, even big corporations that are struggling in this year financially because of the lockdowns. And Lord, we just lift them up to you today and pray, God, that you would make yourself known to them as their provider. And Lord, we ask you for breakthrough. We ask you, God, that you would begin to open up different sectors around the country, different states, God, that are resisting opening up. God, I just pray that you just begin to cause there to be um, a, a movement by your hand, God, that would bring a breakthrough in our nation. And we ask that in Jesus' name and give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open those up this morning to Revelation chapter 2. And if you'll go ahead and find John chapter 15 too, I'm going to read both of those um, pretty close together. And so you can just find those real fast. Revelation chapter 2 and the gospel of John chapter 15 and before I jump into the message, I want to give you a, a real quick announcement and something to, to, to know about uh, that's new here at GTF. Um, we have several things that are going on. If you have your bulletin, um, you'll notice we have a baby dedication coming up. We also have men's retreat going on. And I want to invite you to come sign up for those things if they pertain to you. So men, I want to invite you to come be a part of our men's retreat October 22nd through the 25th. It's going to be in Davis, Oklahoma, and it's going to be phenomenal. Um, we we uh, just shored up our arrangements, just lodging and all those different things. And we have this camp um, that we were able to get into in Davis, Oklahoma. How many of y'all have been to that camp before? I've heard a lot of people have. Nobody here. It's going to be good. Um, they have like sand volleyball, basketball courts. There's fishing. There's golf. There's all kinds of different stuff. And every single time that we go to the men's retreat, there's powerful, powerful encounters with God through His Word and in worship. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. If you would like to sign up, the cost is $250. If you'd like to sign up, this is the new thing. We have online sign-ups for baby dedications, men's retreat, anything else that you're wanting to sign up for. So go to mygtf.org. That's our website. You can go there on your cell phone right now and go to events and click baby dedications. And if you'd like to register for baby dedications, you can sign up real quick. Or if you'd like to register for the men's retreat, you can go on there and type, fill in your information real fast. It'll give you confirmation email and all that jazz. And so just want to make, sh- make you aware that you can always sign up in the foyer in our sign-up sheets. But if you have an electronic, if you're looking for an electronic version whenever you get home or even right now, you can go do that on your phone. Okay, so today we're going to continue in the series that we've been in titled, There's Going to Be a Wedding. And in this series, we're taking a deeper look at Jesus... And his role is our bridegroom. You know, there's many different roles that Jesus plays. If you look in the scripture, he's our healer, he's our savior. 
We focused a, a, a little bit on how he's our king, how he's judge. But it's really, really important that we get it deep down in our soul that he is the bridegroom. If we are the bride of Christ, then Jesus is the groom, and that dramatically impacts the way that you relate to him. Last week, we talked about how we're all invited into this wedding, and we looked at the parable of the wedding feast in Luke chapter 14, and, and we looked at how everybody, everybody that this king invited to his son's wedding banquet um, made excuses, and they told him why they couldn't be there, and, and we talked about how excuses, they really don't move the heart of God. God just moves on, and God went from that place in the parable. The, the king went from that place, and instead of inviting just those select few, which represented the Jewish leaders, the religious system that Moses implemented in Israel, he moved on to the entire world, and he said, anybody can come in, and that was the door that was created through the cross of Christ. And as God's heart begins to invite everybody, we have a responsibility. You know, invitations require a response. We have a responsibility to respond to the invitation into this wedding banquet. But listen, here's the twist of that whole parable. You haven't just been invited to a wedding. You've been asked to be the bride. That's a big difference, right? You're not just a spectator in this wedding. You've asked to be the one who Jesus actually is going to marry. The one who he is in love with. And that dramatically shifts the way that we relate to him. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how we relate to the bridegroom. Because I think for some of us, uh, the, the, not for some of us, for all of us, we need to get to a place in our walk with Jesus where we relate to him as the bridegroom. Because the way that you relate to the bridegroom is a little bit different than the way you relate to a king. The way that you relate to your spouse is a little bit different than the way that you relate to a judge. We all need to know the, the reality of what it looks like. And I think for some of us, we struggle with that because of the bondage of religion. We struggle with how to relate to Jesus as groom, not just judge and king, ruler of the entire universe, right? There's some of that that's really intimidating. But what Jesus is looking for is a bride. He's invited you not just to a wedding banquet, but to become his bride. And so in order to do that, I just, I just had this phrase that I was praying through this week as I was preparing this message. And, and, and some of the reasons that we relate, some of the ways that we relate to Jesus is out of obligation and duty. Have you ever gotten to that place where you're just doing it, you're going through the motions and you're just doing it because you have to do it. There's an obligation to be in church and there's, an, there's a duty that you have to tithe and, and I have to read my Bible and I, I know I, should, I need to pray. But listen, if that's the only way that you relate to Jesus... It's not complete. See, Jesus is not looking for an arranged marriage. He's, he's not interested in you being in this relationship because you have to be. It's optional. You've been invited. You can say no. You can leave anytime you want. He does not want an, an arranged marriage. He wants a bride who is as in love with him as he is with her. So let's begin by talking about Jesus and his motive and how he relates to us, how he relates to mankind. Look at Revelation chapter 2. 
And if you, if you haven't read the first three chapters of Revelation in a while, I'll just remind you, these are prophetic letters that the Apostle John received from Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see a lot of red letters because this is Jesus speaking to these churches. And he tells John prophetically, he says, I want you to write a letter to the church of Ephesus, and this is what I want you to tell my church that gathers in Ephesus. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, The word of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your deeds, the things that you do. Okay, very important. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and aren't, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. He gives them a compliment right up front. You guys are doing a great job in your deeds, the things that you do for me. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Jesus, as he's talking to these Ephesian believers, he starts by talking to them about the things that they do, their deeds, their works, the duties and the obligations that they have to him as their savior, as their king, as their judge, as the ruler over all of creation. They owe him their allegiance. Amen? And what these Ephesian believers are doing is no small thing. They are standing in the face of persecution and they are not shrinking back. And he says, good job. Not only that, they are exposing false teachers, false apostles who are coming in and they're teaching lies and false doctrine in the church and, he, and they're exposing them to everybody else. And Jesus says, good job. Listen, Here's the hard part of this is they're doing a lot of things right, but Jesus says, I have something that I want to talk to you about. You're doing some stuff well. You're fulfilling some duties, some obligations that you have for me well, but. And he brings this rebuke, this correction. And he says, you've lost something in our relationship. See, if your relationship with Jesus, the groom, is only based on your works, your duties, and your obligation, there's a whole big part of your relationship that's missing. Yet I hold this against you. You have lost your love. Jesus' motive for a relationship with you and I is love. That's it. See, he's not in this out of obligation. He's not in this out of duty. Yes, he did have a duty to fulfill. He had, so that all of the law and prophets could be fulfilled, he came and he gave his life for you and for me. But that's not the primary motive that drives him in a relationship with you. It's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Flip over to John chapter 15. I want you to read this. 
in the context of what we're talking about, the Ephesian church, because Jesus is trying to get something across to them that I think you and I need to hear, is that if all we ever do is read our Bible and pay our tithe, and we show up every single Sunday, we check all the boxes, but we don't have love, we don't have anything. We have a bunch of works. And listen, if there's anything that I've learned about God, our works do not impress Him. In John chapter 15... This is Jesus, and he's ha- this is after the Last Supper. So they've had the Last Supper, and he's fixing to go to the cross. And he's, he's having a huge conversation with his disciples, and, and he's really sharing his heart. And in the midst of sharing his heart and giving them some really important instructions about the Holy Spirit, about what to do once he's killed, he's going to be resurrected, all these different things, he prays this really awesome prayer. In the midst of this really important conversation, he professes his love. He lets them know why he's fixing to do what he's fixing to do. And he confesses to them. He allows it to come out of his mouth, the motive that's driving him to the cross. Look at verse 9. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the example and the embodiment of what a life of love looks like. A life of love gives. A life of love sacrifices. A life of love. He said there's no better, uh, there's no better expression of love than that somebody would lay down their life for their friends, for the people that they love. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, this is talking about husbands and wives. And, and Paul says this, he says, Husbands, love your wives just like Jesus. Love your wives just like Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Listen, there's something that's interesting about love. Is love has to go beyond words, doesn't it? Love is a verb. It's an action. And whenever you begin to tell somebody that you love them, that's not enough, is it? Ladies, can I get some amens? Come on. Help me preach here. Saying it is not enough. You've got to express your love. And whenever you look at Jesus and you wonder why the groom has gotten involved in this relationship with the bride, understand this. It was driven from a place of passion. Love. He could not not do what God was asking him to do. He had opportunities to leave. I'm not sure why the Son of God loves me so much. I've given him plenty of reasons for him not to love me, but he does. He doesn't love me out of obligation. He doesn't love me out of duty. He doesn't love me because his daddy told him to. The reason that he loves me is because he has this thing inside of his heart that he can't stop. If you've ever been in love, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't help it. 
And I want you to, to, to really get this because we were singing, you know, about breaking some boxes, but I think there's some freedom for some of us here today because the way that some of us are relating to the groom is through fear and obligation. And if you haven't experienced falling in love with Jesus, you're missing the main ingredient of the relationship. The reason that he's in this is for love. The reason that we need to be in this is for love as well. Why are you in this relationship? Maybe you don't have one yet. That's okay. But why is it that you think a relationship with Jesus is driven? What's the motive? What's the basis for the relating? Is it obligation? Is it duty? There's several different representations I talked about earlier. You know, Jesus is judge and Jesus is king and Jesus is the groom. And I asked a question on Facebook uh, this week and I asked, whenever you look at or you think about Jesus as a judge, what emotional response do you have? I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised that a lot of people actually responded with relief, gratitude, reassurance, but there's still, I, I believe this. I believe the majority of the body of Christ, whenever they think about Jesus as judge, they get scared or intimidated. You think about a judge, and, and there's this emotion. I'm not talking about Jesus as judge. I'm just talking about a judge, a man, somebody who holds that office. Whenever you think about a judge, it kind of evokes respect, awe, fear, intimidation, right? Especially if you're the one that's on trial. If you think about a king, it evokes awe, patriotism, fear. But whenever you think about a groom, you should not be thinking about your spouse that you're afraid of them. If you don't have a balanced framework about how you relate to Jesus, you will follow him out of an impure motive. I want you to turn with me to um, 1 John chapter 4. Because I want you to see this. If you have it on your phone or something, I want you to highlight this verse. If you have a pencil, underline it in your Bible. This is a life-changing verse if you struggle with how to relate to Jesus. If you're relating to Jesus out of duty, your relationship will devolve into a, a mechanical chore. A sense of duty, it is a virtue, Right? If, if, if I have something that I need, a duty that I need to fulfill, and I go fulfill it, that's actually a good thing. So don't hear me wrong. Whenever a soldier is given an order, that order is supposed to be fulfilled, and that's his duty, correct? But the best soldiers are the ones who do it out of love for their country. See, passion combined with duty is a powerful basis for a relationship. It's a powerful thing. And if you are relating to Jesus out of duty, it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. If you're relating to Jesus out of fear, you have not realized the fullness of your relationship, what it could be with God. See, fear of God is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. Amen? I'll read you a verse. This is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the, say beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understand this. If your basis with your relationship with Jesus is fear, understand that's a great starting place. 
There should be this holy awe and reverence that we have for God. And that is one of the things that sometimes gets us to take seriously the gospel. But did you know what the book of Romans says? It's the kindness of God that actually leads us to repentance. It's whenever you experience the kindness of God and the saving grace of Jesus that your heart begins to open so that faith can begin to bridge the gap between you and God and get rid of your sin. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end game. The end game is love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. I hope that you'll allow this verse to become an anchor in your life. It says this, There is no fear in love. None. And I want you to read past that for just a second, okay? Because that's pretty heavy. What the Apostle John, who is actually there the night that Jesus professed his love in John chapter 15, where we were just reading, he's, he's, he, we, we, we kind of call him sometimes the Apostle of Love. Because John, in the, in the very first part of his life, he was this fiery kind of guy. So much so, so much so that they gave him and his brother the name, the Sons of Thunder. They always wanted to fight with everybody. They went into a village one day, and, and this village did not respond to Jesus very well. And you remember what they asked Jesus to do? Do you want us to call fire down on the whole village? And Jesus goes, goes, guys, you don't even know what you're talking about right now. And whenever he got this truth that he's fixing to unpack in this one verse, it changed him. He's no longer the son of thunder, but the, the apostle of love. And he talked about the love of God more than any other book in the Bible. And he said this, he had this revelation and this reality that he walked with, with Jesus. He was Jesus' best friend. His closest friend. And he discovered something about the son of God that he's trying to impart to you and I. And that is this. There is no fear in love. If you don't know how to relate to the bridegroom, Jesus, this is how. You've got to allow the love of God to so fill your heart that it drives the fear and intimidation of the king and the judge, the creator, all of those big things that he is because he is all those. But he is the bridegroom. Let's read on. There is no fear in love. Why? But perfect love casts out fear. Once this perfect agape love that Jesus has shown to you and I, and he has for us, once we allow that to begin to, to penetrate the hardness of our heart, it begins to drive out all the fear that we have towards God. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment... And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, if you relate to Jesus out of fear and intimidation, you have not realized the fullness of who he is in your life. Whoever fears has not been perfected yet. You're still in process, you're still on your journey. We're all kind of in that place, right? 
But love is the, it is the barometer of whenever you begin to experience the fullness of God through Jesus, love is the thing that's going to be the primary focus. It's going to be the anchor for your relationship with him. That's how you're supposed to relate to a groom, to your spouse. How would it change the way that you related to the judge, Jesus, if you were married to him? How would it change the way that you related to the king if you were married to him? See, it just changes everything, doesn't it? Whenever you know that that judge is the one who loves you so extremely that he gave up his life. Whenever you realize that the king, the one who has all of the power to crush and to, and to cause things to excel in your life, that they're the ones that actually want the best things in your life to prevail. How does it change the way you relate to God whenever you realize you're actually married to Him? You'll never be the same. That word fear in 1 John, there is no fear in love. It's the word in the Greek phobos. It's where we get phobias and, and all those kind of different things. And I, I looked it up because I, I thought I knew what it was, but, and I did. I mean, it's just fear, right? It's fear, dread, and terror. But it had this secondary definition that I thought was interesting. Phobos means the primary definition is to be afraid, dread, terror. But the secondary definition is reverence for one's husband. And I don't know if you've been intimidated by your spouse. April and I have been married long enough. We're not intimidated by each other anymore. But can you think about the first date you ever went on? And how sometimes that that was intimidating and you're trying to break the ice and you're trying to get to know each other. And there's this fear there. Call it intimidation. Call it being shy. Call it not knowing each other. Whatever you want to do. And, and there's, that's a little bit of what this word means is that there is this reverence and this awe. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But there is a day in a relationship that comes whenever you fall in love where that love, it begins to drown out intimidation. Where respect and honor are still there, but you love one another in a way that causes you to come together as one. That's the reality that we are meant to walk in with Jesus as our Savior. See, Jesus is not interested in an arranged marriage. He does not want you to be in this for any other reason than passion. Love for Him. He loves you so dearly and so deeply. He wants you to fall in love with his kindness and his goodness and his gentleness. Everything that he is and to reciprocate that love. Listen, if Jesus can't get you to reciprocate love, he will move on. That was what that parable last week we, we read was all about. Here were these people that, that Jesus was trying to get to come into a relationship with them. And all they had was excuses. No, I can't do it right now. Maybe later. And he's like... Who else can I find to love me? Maybe somebody else is out there that will actually reciprocate the love that I have. Listen, the reason that people go to hell is not because God doesn't love them. It's because they didn't respond. It's because they didn't reciprocate. Is there's this place in God where he does not want to, to make you do anything that you don't want to do. You don't have to do it. See, the reason that Jesus is in this relationship is because he loves us. And I think that this is the most powerful thing, is he chose you. You are chosen. I don't know, I told you this earlier, I don't know why he loves me. 
I don't know why he loves some of you. We've given him plenty of reasons not to, right? But he chose us. We've been chosen. This is from John 15 again, right whenever Jesus is professing his love. There's a couple verses after that. He says, but you did not choose me, I chose you. I picked you. See, this is for love. He knew what he was getting into. This wasn't something his dad made him do. He picked us. I don't know that there's anything that should, that should rearrange the posture of your heart towards him as the God of the universe than that. We've given him plenty of reasons why not to pick us, but he's picked us anyway. There's actually this prophecy in the book of Ezekiel where, where Ezekiel actually begins to prophesy about the, the nation of Israel and, and the Jews, and he talks about the people of God being a harlot and how God chose the nation of Israel, which if you are in Christ, you are the, nation of, you are the true people of Israel, is what Romans 11 says. But we have all played the harlot we have all been unfaithful in our relationship to him. Amen? Amen? It's not fun to think about, but it's true. We've all given him reasons to not love us. We've all given him reasons to reject us, but he still picks us. He's chosen us, and he sanctifies us. Picking is a big deal. Choosing a spouse is something that all of us know pretty well here in the Western world, especially in the United States of America. But, they, you know, they still do arrange marriages somewhere in the planet. I remember um, the night that I asked April to marry me. It was um, a pretty awkward um, thing. I was night. I, I could do it again. Great. I could, I could gussy it up a little bit and do it better the second time. <laughs> so I was 19 years old, and um, her, her dad really didn't like me. Sorry, Ed. And um, I, for good reason. I, I treated her like like trash in high school. We were high school sweethearts and I was not good to her. And I found Jesus and it changed my life. And we began to uh, date again and we got to this place where I knew that she was um, going to be my wife and she always knew that I was going to be her husband. She had to talk me into it a lot. <laughs> but I knew there was a place, there, there came a point where I was like, I know that I love her and I know that I'm not going to be wanted, I'm not going to want to be married to anybody else. And so I did the thing. I bought the ring and all that stuff. And I had this kind of romantic thing. I'm not a very good romantic person, by the way. Um, I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But I, my, my idea was I, brought, I bought her some Hershey Kisses. And I picked her up from work. And we went to the school that I went to elementary school at in Amarillo. And we sat on the swings. And I was going to propose to her on the swings. And, but I chickened out. <laughs> I was nervous. I was intimidated. I was like, I don't know how to do this. I've never done it before. And so I can remember we were sitting on the, the swings and she was, I was kind of kicking the dirt around and stuff. And so, and it was really, really awkward. I don't know if you remember it being awkward, but I remember it being awkward. And I can, remember, I can tell that she knew that I wanted to say something, but we just kind of left the swings and we got in my car and I gave her some kisses, the Hershey kisses. Gave her the Hershey kisses, and, and so then I was going to ask her at the car, and I, I chickened out in the car, and so it's like the, the, the whole evening just kind of, we hit all of these, these markers of whenever this could happen, and we end up at the end of the night, and I'm dropping her off at her house, and I'm just like, Jory, you got to do this, man. Do it. And so I can remember right before I walked her up to the front door, I, I got down on one knee in her, in her front yard, my knee got really wet because it was wet grass, and, and I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. Now, here is... <laughs> It was not that romantic. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing that I remember about that night. Nobody made me do that. My mom didn't. My dad didn't. 
peer pressures didn't. Actually, everything in our relationship was saying, don't do this. People in our lives were saying, don't do this. But the reason that I did is because I chose her. She chose me. I don't know how to stress this enough, but I hope that this sinks into your heart. The reason that Jesus is in this relationship and he's offering a relationship with you today, with him, isn't because he has to. He doesn't want an arranged marriage. He wants one where it's based on this place where he picks you and you know that. He's not doing it because there wasn't anybody else out there. He's doing it because he really, genuinely loves you with everything in him. And he wants you to love him back. If you would stand with me this morning. We're going to take communion. If, if you need some elements, if you'll just raise your hand and we have some ushers that would be glad to bring one by. I long for the day where we don't have to eat the, the packing peanut for communion any longer. I'm going to let all the awkward cellophane stuff happen real quick and then we'll pray. Okay, so give me your attention. I just want to pray a couple things before we take communion and, and Pastor Bo leads us in worship and we're dismissed today. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus today, I just wanted to do one simple thing today and I wanted you to, I wanted you to understand that you don't have to be in a relationship with him, but he wants you to be. And I would go so far as to say this, you will not be fulfilled in any other relationship except one with your creator and Jesus is the only way to get there. He's in this for love. He loves you deeply, and he's inviting you into a relationship. And listen, if you want to start your relationship with Jesus today, we would love to help you with that. You can stop by Guest Connect. We have a book. We'd love to pray with you. But I just want you to understand today why Jesus wants a relationship with you. It's not because he has to. It's not because it's an arranged thing. It's not because it's out of obligation. He loves you. That's it. He loves you deeply. He loves you so much that he went to the cross, and he bore the weight of your sin. He removed that obstacle of your sin completely out of the way so that you could have a relationship with God. Now, here's the other thing I want to remind you of before we take communion. If you are in a relationship with Jesus today, don't forget your first love. Don't forget what this is all about. Don't forget the basis of how you relate to Jesus. It's not out of your duties. and it's, All those things are good. I'm not saying that they're not good, but listen, the motive and the drive for why I get up and I, and I worship Jesus in the morning is because I love him. He saved me from a terrible, terrible existence in my sin. And so the best thing that I can do, he's loved me so well, is to love him back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your son. And Jesus, we love you so, so much. 
Thank you for taking our sin. Thank you for removing. And I pray for those, God, who are are questioning whether they should have a relationship with you or not, those who are far from you. And I pray, God, that you'd give them the courage today to receive your love and to receive your salvation in Jesus' name.